This church has grown, and it's also a mobile church. Because of all of that, and because we're entering a season close to Easter as we move into this, this Lenten season, I wanted to do a repeat of a sermon that I did right after I first came here. In fact, it was one of the first ones I did. I think the first or second week I was here. For those of you that memorized that sermon three years ago, you, you may now relax. You may doodle on the blue cards. Uh, you, you may uh, ask Vicki to borrow the pillow. Uh, it's down on front here. You know, you have to do the walk of shame to come get it. But yes, the pillow is here. Yeah, Steve's... No, I ask her to keep you awake because you need to hear it twice. Uh, that's... Uh, so and indulge me with that as we, we do this. Tw- and also it's kind of important because right now the world is talking about how do we meet God? How do we talk to God? What is it like when we come together? Because of the movie The Shack. I'm not going to do a sermon on The Shack. Uh, if you would like to know more about how that works, if you've seen it or if you've read the book and you're intrigued, I would highly recommend you do one of two things, and both of them involve John Mark Hicks. One, he wrote a book on it called Meeting God at the Shack. It's an easy book to read. It's an important book. And he walked many of these same steps. He lost a child. He had a family break up. And so he can walk you through that. And it's a great book. But if you don't want to buy a book, you'd rather just read something encapsulated, just Google John Mark Hicks. Put quotation marks around it, or you will find every John, every Mark, and every Hicks on the planet. John Mark Hicks, and go to his blog, because he has put up a few blogs about it, which I think are very helpful. That said, let's talk about travel. I used to do a lot more travel than I do now. I know for some of you, you're thinking, you're always gone. Um, Four or five weeks a year is not always. Until I moved here, my average was 13, 14 weeks a year. And I I decided, no, we really got to cut that down. But sometimes I have to go. Here in a couple of weeks, I have to go to Victoria Island, which is on the northwest of Canada. And uh, I say have to, because it's, it's something I would rather not do, but churches need help, and we're, I'll be flying through the day to get there and through the night to get back. How's that? But as a goal, every time, I know it's easy to fly. I know it's easy to get places. We have nice roads. Now. Well, we did. We don't now. We have potholes, though, that can, you know, a family of four can live in comfortably. We have, we have a lot of ways to travel anymore, but it's still an adventure. And every time that I, I start to travel, I can almost hear the theme to Indiana Jones movies or Gilligan's Island or the Titanic. So let's talk about trips. Let's talk about rides. Let's talk about getting here from there. We've all seen them, I think. The old Indiana Jones movies, or, the, or even worse, even worse. Sorry, teens, have to do this. Back when I were a lad, back when I was young, you didn't have a lot of telly, a television in, in the afternoon. You had BBC One, which was cricket often. Uh, BBC Two was off the air, and we didn't have a three. So, but whenever we would come to America, and America was no better. Sunday afternoons were death. You had things, there were things in America like bowling for dollars. I'm not making that up. Uh, Or they would have people, the queen for a day thing where they'd have you come out and tell your story and the saddest, most depressed person got a washer or something, maybe maybe a refrigerator and uh, and, and, uh, they got to wear the hat while the song was sung. It was sad. 
But every so often they'd show old movies, and they'd show old Tarzan movies because those were cheap and you didn't have to pay anybody to show them. And they were racist and they were stupid on every level, but that's what you had to watch. You know, Tarzan would swing through the jungle and wrestle a, re- a stuffed lion or something, and that was exciting. But in every Tarzan movie and in Indiana Jones movies, there's a scene. It's required by law. Our hero has seen something he should not have seen or touched something he should not have touched or been somewhere he should not have been. And now he's in, the natives, shall we say, are restless. And so he is, he is running through the jungle um, at full, full blast. And every so often around him, arrows, darts, whatever they are, they're flying about just to let you know he should continue his current activity. Uh, he should continue to run. Now, as, as, he's, as he's fleeing through the jungle, every so often, it even stops, because you need to build the drama, uh, and he'll stop, and even more, and, you're, and so he runs some more. Then he will come, he will come up to the, to the level of a, of, a, of, a, of a cliff, a precipice, a canyon, a, a chasm. And as, as he gets right up to it, he'll even do that for a bit, because it's very important that you be frightened at this stage in the movie. And, and a bet will break off. That's, that's in every movie. A bet will break off, and it will go, and they'll even show it going. It's quite high. No. Okay. Well, he's, 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 in, he's in a rough area now. So he's running about, and, and, but event, he finds a way across. But the way across is not an OSHA-approved, well, well-engineered structure. No, it's a rope bridge. You've seen the movie, right? Now, first of all, he will see it. And he'll see, that's not OSHA approved, that is. That was made Friday afternoon when people wanted to get out and go home. That's in bad repair. Uh, and, but I got to go. So he'll start going across and, and it, it'll weave a bet, right? Uh, and, every, and he cannot get all the way across by law again without you know, break. And he falls almost a bet, a bet, a bet. But he holds on. I remember the first Indiana Jones movie. My wife and I went to see it in the village of Kilmarnock, Scotland. We were sitting there, and there was a, I don't know who the guy was. There was a guy sitting beside me. He was a little guy, basically a coat with a hat on, so I could see. And Indiana Jones starts to slip on the bridge, and he grabs my arm. He, he grabbed my arm. <laughs> you, you don't do that in Scotland. You don't touch. You know, it's, it's, it's a rule. And he grabbed my arm. And I looked over at him, and he looked at me, and he goes, do you think he'll make it? <laughs> I looked at him. I said, it's only three minutes in, and they named the movie after him. <laughs> Just play with the sticky floor. Just, you know, don't, don't, and no touching. You know, um, that, I did that inside. I did that last bit inside. Um, the point is, we all know about that bridge. When I was growing up, I was, in a, I was in a series of churches that all God was quite displeased with you. Oh, very much so. You came to church to be told you're doing it wrong and you're a bad person. And the preachers would say things like, Jesus could come back before the sermon ends and they'd preach longer to increase the odds of them being accurate. And then, and they'd make you frightened and they'd say, when, that's, when the sky splits open, not everybody here is going to go up. And we're all going, we're looking around going, well, who is it then? You know, we, we did everything we were supposed to do. 
you know, we, 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 we did the juice and, and the cracker thingy, and we, we were baptized, and we're singing songs correctly, the ones he likes, we're told. And, and, and what, what, how, we were frightened. We were told, in other words, that God's over here. I'm not p- choosing favorites, by the way, but you guys are going to be the sinner side. <laughs> God's over here. And God is holy and righteous and pure and wonderful in all of his ways. And fair enough, he is. You, however, we're over here. You, me, the lot of you. We're all over here. And we are stinky, smelly, sinny, lustful, greedy, awful people. Okay, fair enough, he nailed us. That's us too. And between us is a big chasm, a gorge, canyon. It's a dangerous journey to get across from here to there. You might not make it. You might get part of the way and the thing break on you because you did the wrong thing. You had the wrong thought. And boom, gone. The book of life, the God writes your name in, writes in pencil, got a big eraser right beside it. <laughs> and he's not afraid to use it. He can make more. He's God. He knows how to do that. And so we were always afraid there's, by the time you got to the other end, there'd be a pop quiz because there are a lot of doctrines you had to have right to make it across. And he might say, now what, about, what do you think about Leviticus 12? And we're looking at each other. We, we never read. You know, and there you go. You're off the bridge. It was a terrifying thing. Now, I'm, I'm, we're making light of it here. We're having, but that is what most people still feel. It, it just breaks my heart. Whenever I talk to people at different churches I'll go to, and I'll say, are you certain if you died you'd go to heaven? And most won't raise their hands. Some of it, it's a false piety. It's a false humility. It is, well, I know I'm going, but if I do that, then I won't be humble. So, No. They're actually not sure that they're going to make it, that it's going to be okay. That's what I want to talk about. Because we want to get there, but we feel like we're stuck in Romans 7. And if you don't know what that means, you, you still get to stay on the bridge. But you should know what Romans 7 says. Because it talks about, I don't do what I want to do. And what I say I won't do, I end up doing. And I, what miserable person I am. And we're stuck there. Without going on to Romans 8 about there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We're stuck on the bridge. But Jesus has an interesting ride an interesting trip ready for you. Trips can be scary from there to here. It's, it, it can be like getting on an airplane and not knowing if the pilot is really good or not. In the old days, pilots, um, planes used to be at an angle uh, because they had propellers and they weren't all that powerful to begin with. So you kind of needed a start on the, the going up idea. And there was no door between you and the pilots back in those days because the people hadn't done that sort of thing yet. And sometimes pilots, for a bit of fun, would get a bag and put some loose screws or nuts in it and put it beside them. When they'd take off, the bag would tip, and those bolts would go back down through the... Now, I never witnessed this. This is back in the 40s, but still, that would have been a hoot. That would have been a hoot if you were the pilot, not the passenger so much. But you're doing this, you're going, oh, oh, but that's exactly what most churches are. We're going to go to heaven, but you might not make it. <laughs> roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters. There's something wrong with handing somebody money and saying, frighten me. <laughs> and if you can uh, 
disorient me and make me nauseous, that's a plus. There's an extra $2 in it for you. There's something wrong with that. But every, every trip to church was like a roller coaster. So I want to tell you a story. About an old, it's an old story about a guy named Jacob that had to leave home. He had to leave home. He had always been a rogue. He'd always been a con man. From birth, from birth, he had, in the womb, he was a con man in Scripture. It's a long story, it's, but it's in the Bible. And I find that remarkable and actually a bit laudable, that level of commitment to your, your job. Uh, so he was a con man, and he had always been a con man until the protection was withdrawn. His mother's love had always protected him, but it wasn't going to anymore because Esau was coming. And Esau, his brother, was big and hairy and muscular and tough and athletic and everything Jacob was not. Jacob was the son that sat in the kitchen going, hello, and just uh, was not prepared, not prepared for a meeting with Esau. So his mother says, run. So he runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs, but eventually you've got to sleep. And in Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of, Egypt, uh, uh, God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He saw a stairway. I know in the older versions it said a ladder, but it wasn't a ladder. The word means stairway. He saw a stairway to heaven a long time before Led Zeppelin saw it, but there it was. And he even mentions the stones in the book, in that passage. Did you see that? So it's, it's very important to read your Bible. So there's a stairway. At the top is God, and angels are going up and down. This is very important. They are, they are traversing the gap between the righteous God and sinful people. They're going the, on a stairway. That's important because we want to talk about that stairway. God's telling the angels what he wants done. The angels are going down to do it on the stairway. Then they're going back up on the stairway to report to God about what they've done and what they've seen. Flash forward to another story. Nathaniel comes to Jesus. Jesus is impressed with Nathaniel. So he says to them this, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let's get this straight. Yeah, there's a gap between rogues like Jacob and me and the righteous and true and wonderful God. Yes, we live on an earth that is not now heaven. But that big bad divide <clears throat> is not bridged inadequately by a poor rope bridge. It's bridged by Jesus. 
He's the bridge. He's the stairway. He's the stairway to heaven. For a bridge, by the way, those of you, Engineering 101, um, for a bridge to be of any use at all, it must have two ends. That's a minimum. If you, don't have, if you have one end, you don't have a bridge. You have a ski jump to doom, but you don't have a bridge. You have an off-ramp to nowhere, but you don't have a bridge. You need at least two. I've been on a bridge that had three endings. Zanesville, Ohio. It's like they got halfway across the river and went, don't know which way to go. So they went two. It's a Y bridge. I don't know why, but it's a Y bridge. And if you've ever been to Zanesville, there's nowhere you need to get in Zanesville that quick. So I'm not real sure why, but there it is. You need two, and Jesus has done it. One foot in divinity. One in humanity. One foot in time. One foot in eternity. He is the perfect bridge. He knows both sides. He is a part of both sides. He is the eternal son of God who became the, etern- the uh, son of man. And when we climb on his shoulders, he'll take us safely across. But you got to get with Jesus. Because that's the only way to make the trip. There is no other way. There are no other bridges. Jesus, when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, he meant it. Here's a preacher's story. By preacher's story, I mean a story which is told for many years by preachers and probably not true, but illustrative of, of, of some important point. And if it is true, great. I'm told that back in the day, people used to string wire across Niagara Falls and they would walk it and, you know, people would pay money to watch him walk it. And that much I do know happened. The story's told of one guy that used to go across with a wheelbarrow for some reason. He got on one end and he said, everybody think I can make it? And people are going, yeah, yeah. And he turned to one guy and he goes, you think I can make it? And the guy goes, absolutely. He says, then get in. (laughs) Ah, we've just upped the ante somewhat, haven't we not? Um... Jesus says, you think I can make it? Yeah, you're Jesus. You can do it. Then let me carry you. Ooh. It means he's going to be in charge of the trip, not us. But there's another story. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humans. A human Christ Jesus, the anointed one Jesus, the one who's got a foot in both sides. Now, the Greek word for mediator only occurs here and one other place. That other place is in the Old Testament. Now, if you're a student of the Bible and you're thinking, oh, no, wait, hang on, Old Testament is written in Hebrew, you are right in the main, although there are bits of other languages there, you're right in the main. But the version of the Bible that Paul and the apostles used in the main was written in Greek. And this word, mediator, also occurs in one place, in the story of Job. Oh my. Every reversal that can happen to a human being happened to Job, one after the other. Everything you could lose, he lost. Every, everything. His children his marriage, his reputation, his health, his standing in the community, all gone. 
top of the world to next scene, sitting in a pile of ashes, scratching at boils all over his skin with broken pottery, while his wife leans over and says, curse God and die. Wow. Then friends come. And friends are, are good friends. We, we often kick them pretty hard, but they were good friends. They tried their best. But they, they decided, you know, you must have done something, Job, to deserve this. God's punishing you somehow for some great evil you've done. And Job calls out for a mediator. A mediator. A days man is the literal word there. He needs somebody who would arbitrate between God and him. Somebody that could cross this divide. A days man back in Job's day. Let's explain that. Today you can be accused of a great horrendous crime and your trial could be in two years. And it could last two years. And then appeals could last another ten years. You didn't have time for that. Back in Job's day, you worked hard all day long just to have enough food to survive the next day, hard day work, just to survive the next day. You get the point? There's no time for drawn-out court. There's no time for games. Some of you younger ones, um, your grandparents are working on phones and having a great time. Those of us that are a bit older, our grandparents, we never saw them play a game because there was never time. You had to work. If you didn't work, you lost your stuff. That was Job's day. And so you would call in somebody who was respected by both parties. And that person would in one day settle the issue. That's why it's called a day's man. Sometimes called a redeemer or a day's man redeemer. In this passage called a mediator. By the way, this um, mediator was taking a, a risk. A big risk. Because if you could not come to a, an agreement by stepping in between them, the mediator was agreeing to pay the cost. Now think about that for a minute. Let's say that, that Keith over here, my friend and my neighbor, and I have a disagreement. That I ask him to paint my house, which would be odd because it's brick, but let's go with that. And I, I said, I will pay you $2,000. He paints the house, but he says, no, he said 10000 Well, that's quite a disagreement right there. We can't settle it. We don't have a court system back in Job's day. There's no legal system of, of any sort. So we have to find somebody that we both respect. And so we may come over here to Steve Burgess and say, we both respect you. But he won't step in between us until he first of all realizes if at the end of the day they don't agree, I'm on the hook for $8,000. By the way, although this is by no means certain, it seems in the historical record that if this is a capital offense, the person stepping in between could lose their life. The day's man. The man that was just there for a day. In Job 19 starting at verse 25. I know that my defender lives. Now, we just sang a song 
What did we use for the word defender? Redeemer. Guess what that word is literally? My days man. My mediator. The one who stands between. He will rise on the earth even after my skin has been stripped off my body. I will see God in my own flesh. I will see him with my own eyes, not with somebody else's. I know he's out there somewhere. Sometimes in the Old Testament, a redeemer would come in with a sword, something to sort things out. Other times, a redeemer would come in to, uh, to rescue like Boaz with Ruth. But a daysman redeemer would have to place himself between the two parties. Now, one of the friends was a young man named Aliphaz, and he, he was convinced that there was no, no angel on the planet that would step between Job and God. He says, no, you, they won't. And in fact, he said, if you ever find an angel that'll even talk to you, he'll tell you you're a horrible sinner. And then Jesus came. He came to show us that Eliphaz was wrong. That God himself, through Jesus, would make the journey. Would cross the great divide. He would speak to us, and he would speak for us. And then he would pick us up, and he will take us home. So when I die, I am saved. So are you. Not because I'm righteous, because I'm not. Not because I'm even good or adequate, because I am not. I will be saved because he said so. And he promised to carry us safely home. We have, in the last 40 or 50 years, found carvings, glyphs of um, the day's man redeemer at work. And to make sure that things did not dally during the day, that was done, it was taken care of. There was a position that the day's man got into. He'd get in between the two disputed parties. He would put one hand on one and one on the other and stand there until it was resolved. Does this remind you of anything? And in Timothy chapter 2, we're told there is one who came and assume this position to save us. To go between the great and wonderful and pure God and those of us who know we're nothing like a great and wonderful and pure God. And he resolved it. Even though it cost him his life. He is the bridge. Jesus promises us a better deal than we've ever gotten before. In Hebrews 8, 6, he says, it's a better deal than God has ever offered man before. In Hebrews 9, look at this. Because Christ offered himself to God, he is able to bring a new promise from God. Through his death, he paid the price. See, we, we, we're never going to be able to agree. We're never going to be able to be God. And God's never going to be able to accept evil in his presence. So what do we do? Jesus paid the difference. Through his death, he paid the price to set people free from the sins they committed under the first promise. He did this so that those who are called can be guaranteed an inheritance that will last forever. Look at that word. That can be guaranteed. 
It's a guarantee. You're going. I remember sitting with one lady that was just sweet and pure, and I, I loved her to pieces. She was older, and she was sick, and she was certain that the closer she got to death, the less ready she was. And this is a lady that knew Jesus, and Jesus knew her. Finally, walking her through this story, there were tears in her eyes, and she was beginning to get it. And I looked at her, and I won't say the name, but I just said, Dear sister, you're going to heaven. Get over it. Just enjoy the ride. That's all that we can do. I find it fascinating. The Bible starts with the blood of Abel calling out for vengeance. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, the blood of Jesus cries out reconciliation. Bring them home. We have a highway. We have a highway to heaven, a highway of holiness. We have a wonderful, safe, joyous ride across the big, bad divide. Saved. Mark, go ahead and bring your team back up, please. But we're saved for something, God says. And if you're thinking, ah, all right, here's where the catch comes, because there's always a catch. There's, no, no, it's not a catch. It's pretty cool. Because we are saved, we are now the bridge people. It is our job to go back and forth bringing other people home. Bringing them home and telling them, it's a safe ride. It's a bridge. Let me show you the way. Jesus will carry you over. He carried us over. We are not in 4th Avenue Church of Christ here because we're holy. We're here because we're being taken to God by one who is holy. And he says, go get them all. Not the worthy, not the pretty, not the clean. Get them all. We are the bridge people. Would you stand, please? Jesus said, he is the great shepherd. In many ways, we get to be the shepherd's collie dogs. It's our job to help him bring people home. This week, remember that you're on the bridge. You are safe. It's a wonderful ride, but God would like for you to grab somebody else's hand and take them across. Be the bridge people this week.